Keep your eyes simple, counseled Jesus Christ during his famous Sermon on the Mount. A simple eye is one that is in focus and that transmits clear images to the mind. A spiritual eye that is simple keeps the image of God's kingdom clear. Hence, heeding Jesus' counsel to keep one's eye simple, clearly focused on the kingdom of God, and not to be anxious about material needs, helps a Christian be spiritually balanced. Jesus' counsel continues to be practical advice for God's servants living in the last decade of this, the 20th century. Although we are no part of the world, we are affected by the conditions and the attitudes that surround us. We must always be on guard so as not to be consumed with anxieties that stem from preoccupation with material needs. Only by paying strict attention to Jesus' admonition to keep our eyes simple will we avoid the anxieties that can rob us of our joy. We must not allow ourselves to lose sight of the need to keep kingdom interests first. Trusting fully in Jehovah's ability and willingness to provide for our material needs protects us. We thereby avoid being swept up in the anxieties of this world and damaging our relationship with our faithful God, Jehovah. Jesus said that the anxiety of this system of things and the deceptive power of riches can choke the word of the kingdom, preventing one from becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. If a Christian allows such anxieties to take root in his heart, the consequences could be disastrous and could lead to spiritual ruin. So regardless of the prevailing circumstances of life in our part of the world, we must maintain full confidence in the unfailing promise expressed by Jesus Christ in His Sermon on the Mount, as recorded at Matthew 6.33. Keep on, then, seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Only by keeping kingdom interest first can we heed the admonition, Never be anxious. The drama to follow entitled Keep Your Eyes Simple, will encourage self-examination and will help all of us to maintain our spiritual balance and to stand firm in our integrity through the trying times ahead. Hi, Deb. How was your day? How was my day? You really want to know? Not good. Not good at all. What's the matter, Peter? Five people in my department were laid off today. Five people, Deb. They called them in, handed them their pink slips, and that was that. They're gone. Why? What happened? Oh, the whole company's in a budget crunch. The boss is cutting back everywhere. Believe me, Deborah, this is just the beginning. What do you mean? I mean I think I'm next. What? My supervisor dropped a few hints today. Peter, are you saying you think you're going to lose your job? I don't know. 
but I was told the company's scaling down the whole department. The handwriting's on the wall, Deb. Well, what are we going to do? The supervisor said I have a better chance of staying on if I accept that other shift they've talked to me about. You mean the Thursday nights? Yes, and weekends too. Every Saturday and Sunday. But you've already told them that's impossible. Our meetings and field service. Look, we may not have much of a choice. The alternative may be no job at all. But they wouldn't really do that, would they? Oh, yes, they would, Deb. Look at this. Our utility rates went up again. How are we going to pay these bills if I don't have any work? What are we going to do about field service on the weekends? When will we go out as a family? And Peter, if you have to miss meetings on Thursdays... I've thought about that. I could probably catch the meetings at the North Congregation. That's only about 20 minutes from here. The same thing on Sunday. They have a late afternoon meeting. But what about me and the children? Deborah, I don't like this any more than you do. But we do need money to live on. What am I supposed to do? Without a job, who knows what would happen? You could end up losing the house. I don't really see that I have much of a choice. Hi, Dad. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Mom. Is it time for dinner yet? Not yet, dear. As soon as everyone gets here. Great. I'm starving. Who's everyone? What is all this? Who's coming over? Peter, you know. Paul and Ruth Stevenson are coming for dinner. They are? You invited them. They're coming tonight? This is their last week before they have to leave the country to return to their missionary assignment. Oh, that's right. Dad, Brother Stevenson said he's going to tell me about how they witness in the jungle. You know, I've been so distracted I completely forgot about Paul and Ruth. It's hard to believe we all used to pioneer together, and now they're missionaries. Well, they'll be here any minute. Andrew, you can get washed up, and tell your sister to wash up too. She's upstairs. Okay. Hey, Mom, did you tell Dad about the car? Not yet, dear. The car? I was getting to that. Now what happened? It's nothing. The car started making a noise today. There's a grinding noise whenever you turn the steering wheel. What else is going to go wrong today? That's probably going to mean another big repair bill. Well, there's no sense in worrying about it now. Oh, really? First the job, then the car. Not to mention all these bills. You know, the whole thing wouldn't be so stressful if this family didn't spend so much money. I've been watching the budget, Peter. Well, maybe we'll have to watch it more closely. What's that supposed to mean? Every time I turn around, there's another bill. Well, don't blame it all on me. You're the one who wanted the new car, even if it meant making some high payments. But we do need the car, and you use it for pioneering. Oh, so is that the problem? Pioneering? No, I'm just saying that if everyone... <sighs> That's probably the Stevensons. Well... We'll just have to finish this later. Here we are, knee-deep in water, right in the middle of a swamp, 
when suddenly in the trees just over our heads, we see a snake. How big? Big. I'd say at least 15 feet slithering just above us. Oh, my. Really? Debbie, this was the ugliest reptile I had ever seen in my life. And it was staring right at me. What happened? Well, Andy, we just kept on moving, kept on wading through the swamp. And eventually we got across and made it into the territory. I guess the snake decided we wouldn't make a very appetizing meal. Wow! We had some wonderful experiences out there, too. You know, three people we met in that very area were baptized last year, and several others are studying now. Jehovah has certainly blessed your hard work. That's how we feel, Peter. Dad, wouldn't it be great if we had big snakes in our territory? No! I'm sure your mother and the other pioneers would enjoy that. Ruth, I just don't know how you do it. Snakes, swamps. Whenever possible, I close my eyes and hang on to Paul. Oh, Ruth's just being modest. She's one courageous sister. I should say so. Well, if there's anything we've learned in our missionary assignment, it's the importance of trusting in Jehovah, especially when we're under stress. Yes, that is the real key. You know, the brothers in our rural territory face all kinds of serious challenges. Challenges that really test their faith. What kind of challenges, Brother Stevenson? Well, Andy, for some of the families in our congregation, just getting enough food or clothing and finding clean water isn't easy. Many of the brothers in the area are just scraping by with only the most basic necessities, things that we who are from more industrialized lands probably take for granted every day. That sounds pretty rough. It is, Peter. But you know what's impressive? The brothers and sisters, despite living under those difficult conditions, are truly happy people. They are? Yes. They keep their eyes simple, focused on the ministry, and they don't let their day-to-day -day anxieties rob them of their joy. At the meetings, the Kingdom Hall is always filled with smiling people. That's right. Even though they're facing real economic hardship, they have a positive outlook. That's what I need, Paul. A positive outlook. What do you mean, Peter? Paul, Ruth, I've got to be honest with you. Before you two arrived for dinner tonight, I was, well, I was just about ready to explode. What is it, Peter? Well, I found out today I may lose my job. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Peter. That's not all. To hold on to his job, Peter may have to accept a shift that conflicts with some of the meetings, not to mention our weekend field service schedule. And of course, if I can't be at those meetings, I wouldn't feel right about serving as an elder. No wonder you're anxious. We just don't know where this is going to leave us, Paul. I've been thinking that if Peter really does lose his job, I may even have to quit pioneering. We'll probably need a second income. It's not just the job, either. It's everything. The bills, the pressure to work this other shift, the car repairs. The whole situation has me on edge. We can understand that, Peter. That's why, when you mention the brothers in your congregation who are able to remain positive, even though they face difficult circumstances, well, it just makes me wonder how they do it. It certainly isn't easy. Debbie, let me help you with some of that. Oh, Ruth, you don't have to. No, I want to. Come on, kids. The sooner we get these plates cleared, the sooner everyone gets dessert. Sounds good to I'll me. I'll help, too. We'll be back in a moment. Peter, I can see you're under a lot of pressure. 
You work pretty hard to take care of this family. Well, I try. I mean, we may not have to cross through jungle swamps or deal with some of those other problems you and Ruth were talking about, but believe me, we've got plenty to be stressed out about. It doesn't matter where you go, Peter. We're still living in critical times hard to deal with. It's easy for any of us to become overwhelmed with the problems of life. Especially when things start going wrong. On the other hand, we do have to try our best not to become overly anxious about the future. That's easier said than done. Anxiety isn't something you can just turn off like a light switch, Paul. True. Ruth and I have not had to worry about supporting a family. But you know, when we face problems, we think a lot about Jesus' words in Matthew 6 when he said, Stop being anxious. If we keep seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, we know that all the things in life that we really need will be added to us. It's a promise from Jehovah. So even when things go wrong, even when we face a situation that looks bleak from our standpoint, we don't have to live in anxious suspense over life's uncertainties. I know that's true, Paul. But it's different for Debbie and me. We've got a house to take care of, a mortgage, Two children who need clothes, food. I'm a family man. You know as well as I do what 1 Timothy 5.8 says about that. If a man doesn't provide for those who are his own, he's disowned the faith and is worse than a person without faith. That's a good point, Peter. You do have a big responsibility. But have you ever thought that Jehovah sets a proper example to show how this same principle can be applied? What do you mean? Well, think about it. The Bible says that if a man doesn't provide for members of his own household, he has disowned the faith and is worse than a person without faith. That's right. Well, doesn't Jehovah also have a household of his own? And aren't his servants located in every part of the earth? Yes. Of course, no matter what situation develops, Jehovah is able to provide for the members of his own household. He has promised to do so. But we need to do our part. That's where the need for faith comes into the picture. I never looked at it that way before, but yes. Jehovah promises that he will provide. That's just what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6. Jehovah knows your personal situation better than anyone else does, including yourself. You can trust him to help you out. And that's where real faith comes in. Are we really confident that if we diligently work to do our part, Jehovah will do his part. That's what has impressed Ruth and me so much about the brothers we've met in our assignment. Many of them have so little, but they keep their eyes simple, and they have really learned to apply Jesus' counsel in Matthew chapter 6 concerning never being anxious about the next day. They have real faith in Jehovah's promise not to forsake them. So although they face difficult circumstances and have to work very hard, they're not allowing themselves to be consumed with anxiety. They handle each problem as it arises, and they don't worry unduly about the future, knowing that if they do their part, Jehovah will do his. I see your point. Don't get me wrong, Peter. You certainly have every reason to be concerned about the welfare of your family. But on the other hand, you haven't actually lost your job yet, have you? Well, no. And you're not without your necessities? No. Then why be overly anxious? Remember what Jesus said. Who of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his lifespan? 
All the care, worry, and anxiety in the world can't improve a situation. But Jehovah doesn't want us just to sit back and wait for Him to provide what we need either, does He? All of us have to do our part. True. Well, that's why I'm thinking about accepting the night and weekend work my supervisor wants me to do, Paul. It might be my only chance of holding on to the job. Debbie mentioned that the schedule conflicts with your meetings and field service. I know. I don't like that part of it. But if I say no, I don't know what will happen. I might be passing up my only opportunity. Well, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, Peter. It's your decision. But we do have to remember that Jehovah's promise to supply our needs is conditional. If we put kingdom interests first, that is, if we don't let the cares of life hinder our service to God, then we will have the basic essentials. That's what it really boils down to. I'll have to think about all of this. You know, Peter, your experience reminds me a lot of a situation some friends of ours are going through back home. Really? Yes, a young couple who live in our missionary assignment. They're facing circumstances that are really testing their faith, too. Why? What happened to them? Just a few weeks ago, Miguel was fired from his job. It was totally unexpected. He and his wife, Rebecca, didn't know what they were going to do. As I mentioned before, the economic conditions in that area have been very rough. People work long days, and they usually earn only enough to get by. So when Miguel lost his job, it was a crisis. Well, Miguel finally found another job. But it was in one of the big cities hundreds of miles away. Accepting the job would have solved their financial problem, but it would also have meant that Miguel would have to leave Rebecca and the children, not just for a few days or weeks, but for many, many months at a time. Miguel and Rebecca realized, just as you do, that they had an important decision to make. seem right, Miguel, to be away from home for at least six months. What about meetings? What about field service? I'll be able to go to the meetings there, and I'll have every other weekend off for field service. I've already met some of the brothers in the area. They're very nice. I'm sure they are, but... And it won't be forever. But it will be for a long time. And I can't say I like the idea of being here alone with the children for all that time. What about them? Who's going to train them? They need to see their father taking the lead in family worship. Besides, who's going to take care of the house? And what about me? I'll miss you. We have almost no money, Rebecca. I know. This is the last thing in the world I want to do. But what are the alternatives? You tell me. Someone's at the door. I wonder who that is. It looks like Paul Stevenson. Oh, that's right. Paul told me last night he was going to come by. He said he had something to give us. Something for us? Hi, Brother Stevenson. Hello, Rebecca. Please, come in and sit down. Thank you. What's all this? Just a little reading material I thought you might appreciate. What kind of reading material? How are you two doing? We're okay, Brother Stevenson, I guess. Your books? What are these for, Paul? 
Well, Miguel, Rebecca, I've been thinking a lot about your situation. So have we. I mentioned at the meeting last night that I had something for you. And that's what these books are all about. They've always been a big source of encouragement for Ruth and me. But before we get to that, tell me, have you decided what you're going to do, Miguel? You mean about accepting the job? No, not yet. We were just talking about it. When I was first offered this job, it seemed like a good idea. Decent work, good money. But the more we think about it... The more difficult it seems. It sounds like you've been doing some serious thinking. What do you think we should do, Paul? Miguel, I know you're under a lot of pressure right now, but this is a decision that you and Rebecca have to make. Neither I nor any of the other elders can tell you what to do. I can tell you this, though. You're working far from home, away from your wife and children for an extended time, can be pretty hard on the whole family. I know. With the head of the household gone, Rebecca would certainly have to shoulder more responsibility. All the meeting preparation, family study, service, not to mention all the household chores. And the children wouldn't have their father around. Yes. Splitting up a family like this to take on work has caused real problems for some brothers. Of course, you have to do what you think is right for your family, Miguel. But you should be aware that separating yourself from the family will solve some problems and create others. I appreciate that, Paul. But frankly, we don't know what to do. Well, that's why I brought these. The yearbooks and bound volumes? Yes. I thought it might help you if you read about some brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who have gone through the same kind of troubles you two are facing now. Some much worse but they have managed to face overwhelming anxieties without losing their joy or sacrificing their spiritual health. That sounds like just what we need. I've gone through and marked some of the experiences you might find especially helpful. What kind of experiences, Paul? Well, the brothers in Rwanda, for example. It's been a few years now, but some of our brothers in Rwanda saw their families massacred before their eyes. One sister had been married just two days when her husband was killed. Hundreds of brothers lost their lives and thousands had to flee to refugee camps. I do remember reading about that and wondering how they could ever cope with such horrors. According to the brothers who came to offer aid, even when our Rwandan brothers were in dire circumstances, they often asked for spiritual food ahead of material provisions. These brothers needed everything you can imagine. Food, medicine, shoes, clothing. Yet many times, the first thing they asked for was a Bible or a Watchtower magazine. Isn't that something? Living conditions in the refugee camps were harsh and difficult, as you can imagine. But the brothers considered a Bible text each day and even organized congregation meetings. And they kept witnessing. Thousands of copies of the Live Forever book had to be shipped to the various refugee camps. So... No matter what happened to them, they kept seeking the kingdom first. Yes, this was how they coped with anxieties beyond what any of us could normally bear. They gave spiritual matters the first place and trusted in Jehovah to take care of the rest. They showed real faith. I'll have to read this over again. I know you'll find it encouraging. What other experiences do you find for us, Brother Stevenson? Well, I was deeply impressed by the experiences of the brothers in Mozambique. You can read about them in the 1996 yearbook. After years of life in prison camps, the brothers returned to their home cities absolutely destitute. 
Many of the brothers released from the camps didn't even have a home left to return to. During the war, they had been stripped of virtually everything they owned. And the nation was still beset by civil war, hunger, drought, and unemployment. But even though poverty was rampant in the cities, not a single one of Jehovah's Witnesses needed to resort to begging. Not one. Those brothers are living proof that what Jesus said is true. If we keep seeking the kingdom first, Jehovah will see to it that we get what we really need. Yes. Once again, when those brothers returned, their first priority wasn't obtaining their own house or getting other material possessions. It was finding a place to hold a meeting, right? Yes. They firmly believed that Jehovah had brought them home safely primarily for spiritual reasons. So they used any materials they could find to build kingdom halls. They had to keep their eyes simple, focused on what was really important. You know, Paul, what Rebecca and I are dealing with now isn't nearly as serious as what those brothers faced. How true. They had nothing. But the same principle applies, doesn't it? Even when they faced a crisis, they didn't let anything get in the way of their spirituality or their service to God. And as a result... Jehovah provided what they needed. Which is exactly what the Bible promises. That's why Jesus said we don't have to be unduly anxious about the next day. Jehovah knows exactly what we need. The question is, are we really putting those spiritual things first? And do we really believe that Jehovah will follow through on his promise? What you're saying is right. But sometimes I wonder why Jehovah allowed me to lose my job in the first place. Up until then, it seemed like everything was going so well. We felt that Jehovah was blessing us. And then all of this happened. I can see why you might feel that way, Miguel. But the Bible doesn't say that servants of God won't ever experience problems in making a living, does it? Well, no. Proverbs 24:16 even says... The righteous one may fall even seven times. The righteous one may fall even seven times. So we can expect that there will be rough times in our lives because of the wicked system we're living in and because of our own imperfections. That's quite clear. Yes. But here's the question. Does this mean that a righteous one who falls is completely abandoned? Does it mean that Jehovah will let us fall and then leave us without any help? No, because that same verse in Proverbs goes on to say, and he will certainly get up. Exactly. If Jehovah can mercifully help us with our imperfections, he can also help us cope with our anxieties over economic matters. So it's just a matter of trusting in Jehovah, really showing that we trust him to help us. Yes, and that involves more than simply dismissing our troubles, pretending that they aren't there. Remember, just after Paul's words, do not be anxious over anything at Philippians 4, 6, he added, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, along with thanksgiving, let your petitions be made known to God. So we have to pray about our anxieties if we want Jehovah to help us cope with them. Even more than that, Paul said to offer supplications. That involves imploring God very earnestly as you would in a time of great stress or peril. Think about Jesus Christ. Even he faced times of intense anxiety. The Bible says that just prior to his arrest, he became grieved and sorely troubled. 
In Luke's account, it says his sweat became as drops of blood falling to the ground. He faced tremendous anxiety. But do you remember how he coped? He prayed to Jehovah. Yes. And didn't an angel appear to him to strengthen him? That's right. Remember, too, that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, we have to be persistent about praying. Keep on asking, and it will be given you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. We should be praying more about our situation. I agree. You know, Paul, you were absolutely right. I think these experiences will help us gain some insight into our own situation. We want to make a decision that Jehovah will bless, don't we, Miguel? Yes, and I have to admit that I have been getting a little over-anxious about my employment. I need to find a job, but I don't want to rush into any decision that will permanently interfere with our spiritual routine or that could cause any of us to slack off in the truth or could ruin our family or marriage. That would really be the opposite of Jesus' counsel. Instead of seeking first the kingdom, we will be giving our worries about food and clothing the highest priority. We are going to read every one of these, and we are going to take the matter to Jehovah in prayer again and try our best to leave it in His hands. I'm glad to hear that, Miguel. And I know that Jehovah will bless you for it too. was the best morning I've had in field service in weeks. Me too, Daddy. We had a good time. I can't remember the last time I found so many people at home. And willing to talk, too. Look at this. I'm completely out of magazines. You know, I think the young man we met on the last street may even want a Bible study. He had so many questions. He sure sounded interested. So did the fellow Andy met. He was very receptive when you offered him the magazines. I know, Dad. It kind of took me by surprise. I kept waiting for him to say, I'm not interested. But instead, he just kept talking and talking. Yes, we were there a while. By the way, you did an excellent job at the doors, Andrew. Thanks, Mom. And you too, Shelley. Thanks, Dad. You know, it makes your mom and me feel proud when we see both of you give such fine presentations at the door. Yes, it does. You're both learning to be real ministers. Maybe someday we can be missionaries like the Stevensons. That's right. Okay, you two. Why don't you put away your service things, change into some play clothes, and get ready for lunch? Sounds great, Mom. All that preaching made me hungry. I'll tell you, Debbie. It would sure be a loss if we had to give up these Saturday mornings and field service together. I was just thinking the same thing. Working together in the ministry really strengthens our family, doesn't it? I couldn't agree more. And it strengthens us each individually, too. That's for sure. Well, then why would I ever give all of this up? Why would I choose to start slacking off in my ministry now? just to please my boss. Oh, you've been thinking about that conversation you had with Paul Stevenson last week, haven't you? Actually, I've been doing more than that. I've been reading up on it. What do you mean? 
Do you remember Paul mentioning some encouraging experiences that he and Ruth used to read whenever they faced anxieties? Oh, yes, about the brothers in Mozambique. Yes, and in Rwanda and Malawi and in other places, too. Well, I looked all of them up. I realized we needed a little encouragement ourselves. Debbie, some of those brothers had their lives on the line every day. Frankly, they faced horrors that we can't even imagine. And even in those circumstances, they put spiritual things ahead of everything else, and they didn't allow themselves to become consumed with their own anxieties. Instead, they took things one day at a time. And that's what we need to do, isn't it, Peter? That's right. You see, ever since I reread these experiences and talked to Paul, I've been thinking about Jesus' words at the end of Matthew chapter 6, where it says, Never be anxious about the next day, for the next day will have its own anxieties. Sufficient for each day is its own badness. Before, I never really thought about what those words mean. Jesus was acknowledging that each day has its own hardships, frustrations, and difficulties, and that we have to deal with those one day at a time. But getting anxious over the next day's problems? Well, it just never improves matters at all. Not only that, it can show a lack of faith in Jehovah. Yes, and I realize now that instead of helping you cope, becoming over-anxious about the future distracts you from caring for your own spirituality. And yet, it was spiritual strength, not money or job security or anything else, that sustained our brothers when they faced trials in places such as Mozambique and Rwanda. Someone's here. I wasn't expecting anyone, were you? No. It's Paul and Ruth. Surprise! Hello, Peter. Ebera. This is a surprise. We just got in from service. Well, we couldn't resist coming over to say goodbye. We leave tomorrow, you know. We're all packed. That's right. You have a big trip ahead of you. Come in. Come in. Shelley, Andrew, the Stevensons are here. We called back to the missionary home last night and heard all the latest news. We're excited about returning to our assignment. Oh, and we got some great news, Peter. I thought you'd appreciate hearing about it. What's that? Well, you remember the couple in our congregation I told you about last week, Miguel and Rebecca? Oh, you mean the brother who lost his job? That's the one. He was going to move away from his family and take a job in another city, right? We heard last night that he decided not to do it. He decided it was more important to be with his family so that they could be at the meetings and in service together every week. Well, I have to say I think he made the right decision. But that's not all. Tell him the rest, Paul. Within a week, Miguel got a call from his old boss. You mean the one that fired him? Yes. He asked him to come back to work. It seems he tried to hire a replacement for Miguel, but he couldn't find anybody who was as honest and hardworking. He finally gave up, realized he had made a mistake, mailed Miguel a new work contract, and hired Miguel back. Jehovah really blessed their decision. Hi, Brother Stevenson, Sister Stevenson. Hi! Oh, I know we're going to miss you. Peter, we hope you and Deborah will be able to resolve your work situation soon, too. We'll be thinking about you and praying for you. Actually, I think we know what we're going to do. You do? Yes. I'm telling my boss on Monday that working evenings and every weekend on a permanent basis is definitely out. It may mean I'll have to work fewer hours and get a little less pay. Or perhaps something else will turn up. But if we keep things simple, 
We know we can get by. That sounds like a good decision, Peter. And it's one Jehovah will bless because you're putting kingdom interests first. Well, Paul, we have a lot more goodbyes to fit in this afternoon. Yes, we're going to have to get going before we run out of time. Paul, listen, I want to thank you for helping me reason on this whole situation. Last week, when I was so worked up about it, you helped me put it in the right perspective. You don't have to thank me, Peter. It was really Jesus who gave us all the advice we need for coping with the troubles that we face in this system of things. He knew what it would take for us to be happy, even in the face of a crisis. He knew that no matter what else happens, if we put the kingdom first, then our loving Heavenly Father Jehovah will never forsake us. Never. Keep your eyes simple is still sound admonition for us now on the threshold of the 21st century. Thus, no matter where you live, if you want your life to be free of anxiety, follow this counsel from God's Word found at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your manner of life be free of the love of money while you are content with the present things. Obeying this godly counsel does not result in any disadvantages to us individually or to our family. Why not? Because the rest of the scripture assures us of God's watchful care. It says, I will by no means leave you, nor by any means forsake you, so that we may be of good courage and say, Jehovah is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Do not let life's anxieties erode your spirituality. Keep on seeking first the kingdom. Keep a simple eye and be content with the present things. Almighty God, Jehovah, will remove the unjust system of today and pave the way for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. How glad we are that his time to do this is near at hand. <laughs> 